And today we are in Luke chapter 3. And you may turn there if you would like in your Bibles. The verses will be on the screen, but I'm going to pray as we come to God's Word. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you do change lives. And Father, we are thankful that you, our God, takes we sinners with lives that are messed up and lives in which we are running away from you and lives where we're even uh, rejecting you, thumbing our nose at you. We are hating you. And you, Lord, take us and you save us and you change us and you make us your children and you make us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And we are thankful as we have sung for the transformation that you do in our lives. Lord, that's why we're here. We are people you have saved, redeemed, and changed. Yet, Lord, we know that we are quick to wander. We are quick to forget. We are quick to go our own way. We are quick to for. Get what you have done for us and how you've changed us. And so, Lord, we do need to hear from you constantly, daily. We need to be reminded. We need to be strengthened. We need to be called back to you and called forward into service for you. So, Lord, that's why we're here now to listen to you speak to us. Lord, meet us where we are and change us this morning. So that when we leave your sanctuary today, we are changed people. I pray for that blessing, Lord, on your word as we hear it now. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I know you've had guests over to your house. And I know sometimes you've had unexpected guests. Or guests that give you a few hours notice. And anytime you have guests, you want your house to look like this. You want it to be clean, you want it to be orderly, you want to be able to show your friends, your guests, that you're a good housekeeper and that you've got your life under control. But in reality, this is what your kitchen looks like, and the kids' bedrooms look like this, your living room looks like that, and you know that if it's ever going to look like this, you've got a lot of work to do. And really, that is the essence of John the Baptist's ministry. If you have felt that nagging feeling that you've got a lot of work to do to get things ready for your guest, then you know the urgency with which John the Baptist spoke and that he wanted the people to be prepared for the ultimate guest... Jesus himself. And so today as we continue in the book of Luke, we come to these words in Luke chapter 3 where we hear from the prophet Isaiah. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. Luke 
quotes Isaiah as the Gospel of Mark does and as the Gospel of Matthew does. Uh, these words originally written by Isaiah were looking to the future when the exiles in Babylon, uh, the Jews who had been taken from their homes in Jerusalem and taken to Babylon, received the news that they're going back home. And then going back home, the Lord is going to prepare the way for them to go so that their journey home isn't rough and it's not through curvy paths and it's not over hills, it is straight, it's smooth, and it's all the way home. But the gospel writers, under the inspiration of the Spirit, saw this beyond the exiles going back home. It was also a message that the Messiah was coming and that a people had to be prepared for him to come to them. See, when the king would travel, there was a crew that went out ahead uh, to clear the road, to straighten out the road, so that the king would travel on a smooth, straight path. And so just like that was done when a king came, this had to be done for the people's hearts because the king of kings, the Messiah, was coming. And so the voice of the one crying out is John the Baptist himself. He is the one living in the wilderness, calling out to the people, prepare the way, prepare your hearts, prepare your life. The King is coming. The Messiah is here. We learned some about John the Baptist when the angel Gabriel came to his father Zechariah and prophesied about this son who would be born. If you remember, Gabriel said that John would be great in the sight of the Lord. This was no ordinary child. Zechariah and Elizabeth, old in age, unable to have children, had this miraculous son. They had prayed for a child and God gave them a prophet, a man great in the sight of the Lord. He was uniquely filled by the Holy Spirit. I would say filled by the Holy Spirit in a way no one ever has. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people for a time, for a purpose. We who are Christians receive God the Holy Spirit. He lives in us when we come by faith and are saved. But John didn't wait for a time, didn't wait until he was a believer. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from conception while he was still in his mother's womb. This showed the power in which he would minister for God would always be with him and lead his life. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember, Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament led the people, attempted to lead the people away from idol worship and lead them back to God. And with powerful speech and powerful miracles, he led the people. And remember the prophet Malachi said, before Messiah comes, Elijah's coming. And so the Elijah to come is John, who comes to turn people back to God and prepare them for the Messiah. The angel Gabriel had said all this to Zechariah. And when we come to Luke chapter 3, we see it all happen, as this is how John came. But there was something unusual about him. Uh, Mark tells us this, that he wore camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts 
and wild honey. And Luke earlier told us this, that John lived in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I imagine many who saw John thought he was a kook, thought he was weird, thought he was strange. Why would he wear these clothes? Why would he eat locusts? I guess if you live out in the desert, that's about all there is to eat. Why would he live out there in isolation, away from everybody else? Who does that? Who lives that way? Who eats that way? Who dresses that way? Why should I listen to him? I should listen to the robed religious leaders. I should listen to those who come from the best schools. I should listen to those who live in the best places. Isn't that how we often think? Do you see the contrast? You see John the Baptist, great in the sight of the Lord, filled with the Spirit, powerful uh, message, leading the people back to God. Do you hear that? And then you see the package that it comes in. It comes in the package with a guy who dresses weird, eats weird, and lives away from everybody. Well, that shows me this important truth, that we should never dismiss people simply by the way they look or the way they eat or where they live. We must be discerning, but we discern what people say by comparing it to the Word of God. And we look at their actions, as John will tell us in a moment, to see where their faith really lies. So there is discernment, but never dismiss someone because they don't look like a preacher or they come from a, the wrong denomination or that person does this weird or lives here weirdly. Too many times we may miss what God wants to speak to us because we dismiss someone offhand. As you can imagine, as a pastor... I often have people coming to me to tell me things. I don't know at times whether it's truly from God or whether this person has just anointed themselves to tell me something. But I've learned that I always listen. Even if where it's coming from or who it's coming from may at first seem unusual to me. I've learned I better listen. Because this person may have exactly what I need to hear right now. And so I challenge you and encourage you to do the same. Wherever God speaks, it may not be where you expect it. So always be willing to listen. Then discern. Because it may not be from God. It may be false teaching. It may be heresy. Maybe Satan trying to trip you up. But at least listen. And then discern because it may be exactly what God wants for you at that moment. We call John the Baptist, not because he was the first Southern Baptist. Okay, that's not why we call him that. In fact, some people like to call him John the Baptizer. He's given that designation because he baptized people. Why did John baptize people? Well, we're told he went to all the vicinity of the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. So his message was to repent. When people did, they came to him and said, John, I have repented of my sins. And John would baptize them. It was a symbol in the sense that they had been cleaned, they had been made righteous, they were right with God. 
In our Christian baptism, it's kind of similar, but it's also different. Our Christian baptism is an identification with Jesus Christ. Of course, at this time, Jesus hadn't even appeared yet. So they weren't identifying with Jesus himself. They were identifying with God and righteousness. So there's similarities, but also a difference. But what's most important is what his message was. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to God. That's the essence of the word repentance. It's changing your mind. It's changing direction. It's going one way, living one way, and turning around and turning to God. Also, John said, you must have a right relationship with God. You see, there were some who came to John. And it's interesting, not only did he dress differently, he kind of probably preached differently for most preachers. Because when they came to him, he said, you brood of vipers. How would you like that if that's how I welcomed you every Sunday? You brood of vipers, why are you here? Get out of here. That's almost what he was saying. Who told you to come here? Is what he said to them. These were primarily the religious leaders who were self-righteous, who didn't believe they needed to repent of anything. Uh, They believed that they had a right relationship with God because they were ancestors of Abraham. They thought that's all they needed. They were Jewish. We've got it made. We're God's people. God's going to love us. He's going to welcome us. We have nothing else that we need to do. John called them vipers, snakes, a family of snakes not children of God. Why? Because they had no relationship with God. Relationship with God came by repentance, by faith. And they had neither. And so John warned them. He said, God can make children of Abraham from the stones. You think that's hard for God? He doesn't need you, but he calls you to repentance, to have a right relationship with God. And he went on, when we have that right relationship, then we should act like God. We should be Christ-like, God-like in our character and our actions. Isn't it easy to say, I repent? Isn't it easy to say, I believe in God? But where the true proof is, is not in what you say to others, it's what your relationship to God is, and that's shown in how you live your life. Our proclamation of our faith should be lived out in our life. We're right to question anyone who says, I'm a believer in Christ, but their life is filled with sin. I'm not saying that they're not a child of God. Only God knows that. We don't know others' hearts. But we do know what God says. He says if we are truly right with him, then our life should show it. And so people ask John, well, John, what am I supposed to do? Uh, He said to all of them to share. He says if you have two tunics, share one. He says to share food. You see, 
in those days they wore an undergarment, different from our underwear, okay? But they would wear one, and then they would have their clothes over top of that. But sometimes they'd wear two, especially if it was cold. We do the same thing, right? We layer with different amounts of clothes. But also maybe they would wear two because they could or to show off how wealthy they were. And John says, if you have two tunics and there's someone over here who doesn't have anything, you share it. The same with the food that you have. Those who have need of it, you share it with them. When you share, it shows two things. It shows, one, that you see the needs of people and you have compassion for them. That's who God is. He has compassion for those who are in need. And then it also shows, when you share, that you are content with what you have and you're not greedy. And so you give generously and you share. Isn't that how God is? God is gracious and generous and blesses far beyond what we deserve. So John says, if you are a child of God, prove it by acting like him. Sharing what you have with those who are in need. Showing your compassion and showing your contentment. The tax collectors came to him and said, well, what are we supposed to do? And he says, don't collect more than you're supposed to. See, governments have always loved to collect taxes. You know, our government isn't any different. They did so back then. They always have. But in Roman times, instead of having an IRS that sent you a bill and you sent it back to them, they would hire out people to collect taxes for them. So if you were hired by the Roman government to go and collect taxes, you go knock on a door, say the Roman government says, this person owes $100. Well, as a tax collector, you'd say to them, you know what? You owe the government $150. They wouldn't know any different. So they'd give you the $150, you'd pocket $50, you'd give $100 to the Romans. That was common practice. That's why everybody hated tax collectors. They knew they did that. And John says to the tax collector, stop it. You're stealing from people. You're robbing them. Don't do that. Only collect what you've been told to collect and not a penny more. That shows that, again, that you're not greedy. You're not a thief. Well, then the soldiers came to John and said, John, what are we supposed to do? Soldiers in any time, in any military force, always are able to intimidate because they often have weapons. And so, and they have authority. So with weapons and authority, you can intimidate people. You can extort them. You can bribe them. You can steal from them. And so again, this was common among soldiers. They often got little pay. That hasn't changed either. It's been the same throughout human history. And so they figured, well, I'm getting very little from the government to be a soldier, so I will scare someone into giving me something. I'll intimidate them. John says, stop it. Don't do that. Be content with what you have. Three specific examples of people asking John, what should we do? And if you notice, each one of these things is an earth-shattering. Really, if you examine it, really he's just telling them to live the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Don't envy. Consider your neighbor. 
You know, the teachings of Jesus, the Ten Commandments, all tell us the same thing. And that's what John's telling them. If you truly have repented, and if you truly are a child of God, then it should show in how you live your life. It's very simple to understand. And even James tells us the exact same thing. He says, in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. See, there were some that would come to James and say, well, I don't have to do anything for God. I have faith. I'm a child of God. I'm a believer. James says, no, that doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. That means you have to do something. If you have faith, it's going to overflow. It's going to show. You're going to be changed. You're going to have a Christ-like character. You're going to live like God. Live differently from the rest of the world. Again, it was common for soldiers to intimidate. It was common for tax collectors to steal. It was common for people not to share. That's what everybody did. John said, be different. Be like God. Be a different kind of people. The message is the same for us today. Especially today as we come to the Lord's Supper. Think about your life. Paul encourages us each time we come to examine our lives. If we are to come to the table, we must be right with God. Just like when you were a kid and you came home from supper and your mom said, wash your hands. When you come to the table, you must be clean. So examine your life. Maybe you aren't a child of God. Maybe you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and therefore you don't have a relationship with God. Today is the day to repent, to believe. Or maybe you're a Christian who's like those people in James' day. You feel like the fact that you have faith in God is all you need. And that your life doesn't have to look any different. You don't have to do anything. Examine it. As your character, as your life, does it look like Jesus' life when he was on this earth walking and serving and helping people? Finally, Luke tells us this. Now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. Remember, we said there were centuries of silence without profit, without word from God. That was broken by the angel Gabriel, but... The masses of people didn't hear the angel Gabriel. They may never even heard of the story at this point in time. So for the masses of people, this is the first they've heard of any prophet for over 400 years. So you can imagine then that they're excited. They are a generation who's hearing a prophet speak on the behalf of God and no one for 400 years has heard anybody. So maybe this prophet is the one that the prophets in the past talked about. Maybe he is the Messiah. You can understand that. And John has to tell them, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. You see, I baptize with water. But the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And Jesus did that. On the day of Pentecost, the believers who were gathered, the Holy Spirit, God himself, and dwelt the believers, and we as believers, when we are saved, also have the Holy Spirit indwell us. That's far more powerful 
than being dunked in water, isn't it? And with fire, it may refer to the fact that in the future, Jesus is coming back in judgment. Or it may refer to the same event, Pentecost. Remember, this Holy Spirit descended like tongues of fire upon the believers gathered. But the contrast is obvious. Baptizing in water is nothing compared to being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Also, John said, I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals. That was a job that slaves did. And even uh, rabbis or masters who had disciples also gave their disciples kind of slave-like tasks. You know how that is, don't you? If you are the new guy at a company and you have a boss, doesn't the new person always get all the dirty jobs to do? And if you are an apprentice, especially with a master electrician or a plumber or a carpenter, who does all the dirty work? Well, the apprentice does. He's the one that has to do all the sweeping and crawl under the house. The master plumber, carpenter, doesn't do that. So it was sort of the same thing in those days. But even because this was so humiliating, bending down, dirty feet, untying the sandals, Hebrew slaves didn't have to do that. Disciples of rabbis didn't have to do that. Even they drew the line and said, that is too disgusting, that is too humiliating. You don't have to do that. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that disgusting, humiliating task. That's how far inferior I am to the Messiah who is to come. John says that he's warning about judgment, but Jesus, when he comes, will bring judgment. John had no authority to judge these people. He was warning them. Jesus is the judge. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the one who judges. And so there is warning from John to be ready. Because when the Messiah comes, he is going to judge. And he uses the illustration of gathering wheat and having the wheat on the threshing floor. And it's thrown up into the air. And all of the chaff just gets blown away by the wind. And all the good stuff lands to the ground. A separation, a division a purification, and that is what Jesus does when he comes. But there's one thing they did have in common. Luke ends his verses about John with this, that John was arrested. As we would say today, John spoke truth to power. King Herod, not the same Herod of Jesus' birth, a different Herod, but I won't go into the family tree with you this morning. It's complicated. But this Herod decided he wanted his brother's wife. And so that's what happened. The divorce papers and everything else. So now Herod is married to his brother's wife, his sister-in-law. And John, I'm sure not into, they probably weren't kind words. He certainly didn't mince words. If he said brood of vipers to a crowd, I'm sure he had some choice words for Herod. And told him in those uncertain terms, it's sin. It's wrong. Repent. And Herod said, you're going to prison. And later, as Luke will tell us in the other Gospels, John was beheaded at a dinner party. Not at the dinner party, during a dinner party to please a guest. Because the niece of Herod didn't like what John had said and wanted his head on a plate. And it was done. And that way, not only was John preparing the people for the Messiah, he was also a foreshadower 
of what would happen to the Messiah. What happened to John, arrest and execution because of his truth, happened to Jesus, arrest and execution because of the truth of his claim, I am God, that divided the people and had him arrested. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? That's what John was telling the people. Are you ready? The same question will be said now as we come to the Lord's table. Are you ready? Are you ready to partake? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Have you repented of your sins? Is your relationship with God right? Are you living a righteous life? If the answer to any of that is no, right now is the time to get it right with God. Pastor Brady's going to come and pray for us. As he prays, use this time to confess and to prepare for the Lord's table. Then we will eat together. Pastor Brady, would you come and pray, please? Let's, tell, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this visible sign of a sacred thing. We're thankful that even though we are unworthy, that you have brought us to your table. I pray that as we uh, embrace the, the elements as they are soon to be passed out, that uh, we would be aware of any sins or grudges that we might have. Let us confess those to you. Let us confess to people who need to be confessed, who forgiven, who we need to forgive to. I pray as we uh, uh, take the Lord's Supper that we are reminded that uh, Christ has died, that he has risen, and that he will one day come again. May we be prepared to uh, tell anyone who, who would come into contact with us of, of what this is for, that we know that uh, there is a risen King who offers salvation to all who come to him. So I pray that you uh, bless us as we take part in the Lord's Supper today. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We are going to sing a song as well that will prepare us for the Lord's table. So let's sing together and let's worship together. And again, use this time to prepare your hearts. And then we'll partake of the elements. <laughs>